The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! I love that song. It's so good. Yeah, it's good. She has that line in there about catch yourself daydreaming about violence because you're not used to the silence of camaraderie. I just love that because it's like she's talking about a couple sitting across from each other that hate each other. And the one guy's thinking about violence because he can't stand normalcy. It really paints a strikingly accurate picture of a bad relationship. And I feel like based on the songs off of Olivia Jean's debut album, she has had a few. Hey, Paul. Yeah. Before you get too ahead of yourself, we should introduce ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) You're absolutely right, James. I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. And this is the Third Men podcast, the Jack White fan podcast, where we talk about all things Jack White and explore corners of his history and music that no fan has gone before. Right. Both deep and dark. We don't... We don't like what we find. Yeah. <laughs> so if you've stuck with us from the beginning, and I hope you have, we've done album analysis and review episodes. We've done spotlights on new releases. We've done spotlights on holidays loosely associated with Jack White, where James and I are quite drunk. But this episode, we are going to be doing a spotlight on a jackalite, as we refer to them. James, do you want to talk to the people and explain to them what a jackalite is? Someone who follows Third Man Records and Jack White related artists around the fanboy fangirl of the White Stripes Third Man Records, Jack White universe. A member of the Third Man family, as they would probably put it. 
we see uh, these people talk in interviews, they usually call it the third man family. James and I, since, oh, I think we started noticing the Jackalites around the time of the Raconteurs, basically consistent faces that pop up around Jack White's world, whether they be musicians or producers or engineers, people who are helping out of the store or set up Third Man Records storefront, things like that. Jack White cosplayers such as Johnny Depp. <laughs> that is sort of the all-encompassing definition of a Jackalite. And this episode we are going to center on Miss Olivia Jean. Right, Third Man recording artist famed black bell olivia jean yes who is one of my favorites i gotta say i was introduced to her like most people via the black bells and that stephen colbert episode when uh, they did that with the, that single together but i have since come to really love her music and i think she's a great songwriter she's sort of a jack of all trades her album both solo and with the black bells are very very good and she writes all her own material a lot of strong stuff there yeah, definitely. I was introduced to your same single, actually, with Stephen Colbert. Charlene 2, I'm Over You, backed with I'm Right Behind You Now, Charlene. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about Olivia. We're going to go through her kind of history as it relates to Third Man Records and give you kind of an overview of her career up to this point as it pertains to Jack White. Alrighty. So let's jump into it. Let's go. Hey, brah. So Olivia is from Detroit, Michigan, Jack's hometown as well. As we all know, Detroit had a very vibrant music scene. It's where Jack came from. It's where a host of other bands came from that sort of came along in that late 90s era. But Olivia is sort of the next next generation, sort of the wrong word, but she she came along about 10 years after those groups did and started popping up on the scene towards sort of the mid to late 2000s. Started playing guitar at 13, was a big Link Ray fan, and used to make up her own surf songs. Uh, let's hear a little bit of Link Ray, give you an idea. So she was really into that style of music. There's a big like garage rock scene going on in Detroit, obviously, but she has a surf music influence bubbling underneath it, which actually gives it a nice, interesting flavor. Basically, what she would do is multi-track herself and do all of the instruments on these demos just on her own and come up with these surf songs that she was writing. And she had been doing this for a number of years before she actually took it in front of a crowd. Hmm. Well, that's very uh, Jack-like. Yeah. Of doing everything yourself and going based on a multi-track mixer. It's it's entrepreneurial for sure. It's something I'm sure Jack later on when we get to that point, I'm sure Jack saw a like mind in that kind of approach to it. Hmm. As I said, she started playing guitar at 13 by her later teenage years. She was getting booked at shows in Detroit. She said in an interview she found it easy, actually, to get booked for shows in Detroit because the garage rock scene was so huge at the time. Hmm. You had acts like the Von Bondies and the Dirt Bombs and stuff sort of still putting out albums in those early 2000s kind of years. And so that's really the stuff she's listening to along with Stripes Records as she's coming into her own as a musician. 
<laughs> so you flash forward to her at 19 years old, and she is attending a Dead Weather show and passing out demos. And this is eventually how she came into Jack's sort of sphere. I um, got involved in Third Man Records because I gave was giving out demos at a show that the Dead Weather played in Detroit. And the demo was of music I had just made myself, um, mostly instrumental surf things. And then a couple of the songs ended up on the Black Bells album. Jack got a hold of that, and one day he just called me up and asked if I wanted to play on some session work um, in Nashville, and that's how I got involved with Third Man, and I was lucky enough for them to keep using me. That's like a fan's dream right there. Yeah, yeah. Talk about, like, totally hitting the jackpot. Well, I wasn't able to find on the record her talking specifically the show she saw, I believe it was the first Dead Weather tour and the show that they played in Detroit at the Magic Stick was performed on June 12th, 2009. So there's a good right. there's a good chance this was the show they met at. Let's play a little bit of the Dead Weather from that show. you out there saw that first dead weather tour it was awesome definitely eye-opening we hadn't seen a jack tour quite like that it was a lot of theatrics wouldn't you say james yeah the magic stick if you guys don't know is a very famous detroit venue jack white has played there with the white stripes pretty much all his bands but he was a common occurrence there in his detroit days yeah so i mean olivia was probably familiar with the venue as i say she you know she had been playing a variety of different places on her own so yeah passing out demos at this show wind up getting into the hand of jack and he liked what he heard much like i was past demos on philly street corners where they would shove a cd into my hand and go this mixtape fire and i would grab it and i would put it in my cd player and my cd player would literally burst into flames it was fire <laughs> what was it it was it was actually fire yeah, yeah. it was actually fire yeah. this man was a necromancer or a, a firemancer firemancer that's the one he wasn't raising the dead he was raising my jams it seems He's pumping up those jams james that seems dangerous i'm the one doing the grunt work i'm the guy back here in the trenches you know, I'm hitting the boom booms, make the Skrilla. So Gene, <laughs> Gene had this to say about that day. I had a recording that I gave to Jack, and it was mostly instrumental music, but it was a jumping off point for a project to begin. I did it for myself, but I didn't play anything live because I didn't have a band. But once we all met, we kind of collaborated together and shared ideas, threw all those ideas together, and we had a lot of material to work with. And that was for Interview Magazine when she was promoting the Black Bells album. As you can hear in this quote, a lot of that demo tape wound up working its way into the Black Bells debut album. Wow, that's a that's a bold statement. Like, none of this is finished. It's just me, you know, basically outlining what I want. 
Yeah, kind of. Step mean, by step. Yeah, she's got that mix of, like, she's definitely humble. I always get that impression hearing her in interviews, but I think Jack was one of the people she credited with teaching her to zero in on what she wants and mm-hmm. don't make any compromises for it, which seems to be a common theme with Jack's approach to things anyway. So Jack said of her upon meeting, uh, she can play any instrument, and that's a pretty rare thing. There's not too many people we've had in our world that can do all that. Can she play a vibraphone? I don't I don't know what that is, James. How about a keytar? Well, well, let me give you <laughs> – let me read you some of these weirder ones from her debut album later on. She plays the Moog synthesizer. Okay, so not super weird, that one. But she also plays Carillon Bells. Okay. A Wurlitzer. That's a piano. Clav? Long story <laughs> short, she plays a variety of instruments, and Jack was obviously impressed, like what he saw. And, yeah, she was only 19 years old. When she met Jack at this show, 19 years old. That is insane. We're close to the same age, me and her. The background from here, Jack had wanted to form a girl group. Uh, Third Man Records had a few releases under their belt up to this point. The Third Man family, as we described earlier, was sort of coalescing still at this point. And one of Jack's ambitions was to form a girl group. So him meeting Olivia blossomed into this group called the Black Bells. Uh, and Jack, hmm. Jack became a mentor for Olivia and the other girls in the group. And Olivia actually wound up moving to Nashville not long after that for Third Man Records. Huh. So he was a mentor to Lil Boo? Oh, Lil Boo. So yeah, let's get into talking about the Black Bells. So the Black Bells formed in 2009, not long after Olivia met Jack, and they sort of developed the songs on her demo tape into a little more fleshed out material. Olivia got together then with the other members of the Black Bells, Ruby Rogers on bass, Shelby Lynn on drums, Lil Boo on synth, I love Lil Boo. <laughs> and Olivia was vocals, guitar, and organ. Nice. Olivia wrote all 11 songs on their debut album. Wow. Which is pretty impressive. Yeah. And it's actually a great record. There's a lot to really love about this one. Let's play a little bit of Wishing Well. So as you can hear, a lot of potential going on in there. The songwriting isn't quite where it winds up with her, but it's definitely on its way there. Yeah, it's still got some of the punk roots, which I really liked in the Black Bell stuff. Other members of the group that sort of passed in and out, Erin Bell, spelled B-E-L-L-E, she was playing bass at one point. She was a model and left the group over scheduling conflicts with her modeling career. I mean, I get it. You may recognize Erin Bell from the I Cut Like a Buffalo video. She uh... She's one of the models in that video, as well as Wanda Jackson's video for Tore Down. Other members included over the Christina Norwood and Chrissy Valentine. But I feel like Olivia was really the glue that kept that group together, and the other members were always sort of revolving around her anyway, you know? To be fair, most of these other girls sound like they're extras on Saved by the Bell. Yeah. <laughs> this is Tori Valentine. This is- <laughs> 
Screech's new girlfriend for some reason. <laughs> when you hear these interviews about them, uh, apparently they were all sort of living and recording in his house and Jack would just sort of show up unannounced or like he would appear outside of windows or in doorways and stuff. And they'd be like, oh, hey, it's Jack. I think he was just trying to be supportive, but I think there's a difference between how people are supportive and how Jack White is supportive of people. Uh, so James, do you know where the name The Black Bells came from? I'm going to assume from Aaron Bell. It was all her idea, her inception. <laughs> she championed it and then left the band to cut like a buffalo. Well, <laughs> well you I mean, look, you may very well be right about that. But in interviews, they have talked about the band's name coming from The Bell Witch, which is a ghost story based out of Tennessee. And it's apparently the story of a real witch that lived in this small town. Olivia said of it, there's a story of a real witch that lived in a small town. Roger said, you can actually visit the cave and everything. Apparently, this thing is considered by many to be a true ghost story. I mean, as true as a ghost story can be, but that's cool. It's better than it coming from an episode of, like, Charmed or something. So I looked up this Bell Witch, and yeah, it was a supposedly a sinister entity that tormented a pioneer family on Tennessee's early frontier between 1817 and 1821. This is all via the Bell Witch website, which you can frequent. And I did. Bellwitch.geocities.angelfire.org. <laughs> so, just going to give you the brief version here. In 1817, John Bell was inspecting his cornfield when he encountered a strange-looking animal sitting in the middle of a corn row uh, that had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit. And so he did the thing you would naturally do, and that is he shot at it <laughs> several times. The animal then uh, supposedly vanished, and that... Yeah, because he-, he shot it. It's, <laughs> it, it died. That that dog rabbit is no more. It has ceased to be. Uh, So that evening, the bells began hearing beating sounds on the outside walls of their log house. The mysterious sounds continued with increased frequency and force each night. The bell children began waking up frightened, complaining that rats were gnawing at their bedposts. I mean, to be fair, they were. (laughs) They shouldn't have lived in a farmhouse. I mean... Not long after that, the children began complaining of having their bed covers pulled from them and their pillows tossed onto the floor by seemingly invisible entity. Also very consistent with rats. (laughs) I think these folks just had rats. I think I smell a rat. What's that smell? I think I smell a a bell? (laughs) No. So, no, that's a rat. So then this thing started talking to them. Is it like kind of high-pitched chitter noises? Was that that what it sounded like? Then it started apparently beating them, and the voice became so loud and unmistakable, it sang hymns, it quoted scripture, carried on intelligent conversation, and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. By far the most interesting fact, apparently they summoned the authorities to look into this thing, and the guy that led this platoon tune of people who were then summarily scared away and never returned was general andrew jackson soon to be president of the united states thank god our 20 dollar bill is here everybody (laughs) and he was scared out of his mind maybe that's why his hair is so shocking and white and standing up (laughs) do yourself a favor and look it up it's amazing but apparently there's this cave and everything and the black bells are named after it so Sounds great. If you've seen any photos of the Black Bells, their look is very distinct, shall we say. Olivia was quoted as saying, we're okay with playing the label of goth because we don't really try to be in the way we look. We just kind of are. That's what we like. Mm. So that's, again, from that interview magazine quote. And yeah, they're definitely gothed out. The hats, the black dresses, heels. Yeah, definitely gothy. You can't even see little Boo's eyes. 
Nope. Hat's too big. Hat's too big for Lil Boo. So they released a few singles first, and then the full-length album came out on November 8th, 2011, and it was recorded over a few months. The singles were the Elvira theme, James, which we talked Mm -hmm. about on the Halloween episode. Yep, Elvira's movie macabre, I believe. Yeah, the song is What Can I Do? to Colbert. I think that was where they kind of broke. They did a single with him in Third Man Records called Charlene 2, I'm Over You, which is really great if you never heard it. Uh, let's play a little bit of that. I used to be right behind you to catch your eye But now I've half a mind to Finally say goodbye I'm finished looking through your door Won't check your mailbox anymore I bet you're wondering why I'm over you, Charlene It's all over now With goodbye, Charlene It's all over now We'll have to be just friends Gonna sell my telephoto lens I'm over you Charlene so that is riffing on an in-joke for the Colbert Report, which was Stephen evidently had an album release in the 80s where he released this song called Right Behind You Now, Charlene. That was sort of this weird, veiled, Flock of Seagulls-style stalker song. So Black Bells kind of played into that and did the sequel song to it. And then they cover I'm Right Behind You Now, Charlene on the flip side. Of, and it's it's really really good every time i see you i think of you every time i'm near you i think of you Do you remember when they were on the Colbert Report? It was awesome. I do. In fact, they even toured around a little bit with this single. They played a live show in Manhattan with Stephen and Jack. I think it looked like a construction site or on top of a building or something. It was like behind a lot, I think. Yeah, they um, they were kind of everywhere in association with Jack for a while. He pushed them hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of the first third man projects that was a group that he wasn't really a part of that he kind of really had a firm hand in assembling. Mm -hmm. So he poured resources into that. I would argue it didn't 
pay off the way he would have maybe wanted it to, but it was definitely a stepping stone for Olivia Jean in her career, and I don't think it was a wasted effort at all. Yeah, I don't either. In fact, I love the Black Bells just as much, if not a little more, than Olivia's solo stuff. So they put out a couple other releases. So they put out a 10-inch vinyl uh, of their live set at the Chinneries with a group called The Horrors that was on, not Third Man, but the J.D. Roots label. The Horrors are an English indie band from South End on Sea, formed in 2005. Let's listen to a little bit of The Horrors, because they're kind of cool. Yeah, sure. with the cribs in 2012 i don't know if you remember the cribs i love the cribs yeah mtv's cribs it was a great show <laughs> they were great sort of indie kind of garagey band that popped up in the mid to late 2000s so by 2012 they had sort of been around for a little while but they toured with the black bells and they released a 10-inch final of a performance from that tour as well that they did at the wakefield theater royale playing leave you with a letter they also did south by southwest along with karen nelson's band before we move on from the Black Bells, we'll play a little bit of this song, Honky Tonk Horror. I really love that song off the Black Bells album. And if you haven't really given this thing a listen, it is really, really tight. Definitely worth it. Highly recommended. So uh, from there, we're going to move on to Olivia's collaborations on Jack White songs. Olivia, if you're not aware, has worked on a bunch of Third Man record songs in general, but especially on Jack White material. Gene said of Jack, none of us feel that working with another artist who's able to help us out and mentor us would be like that. It was not negative at all. Jack was always helping us out and believed in all of our opinions and what we wanted to do and helped us make those things happen. As you said about all of us having the same taste, he really has very similar taste to us as well. He was very easy to work with. He helped us out the entire way. Which is nice to hear. I mean, he's a guy who's, he's bigger than he thought he would ever be. He's got an entire record company. The fact that he's supportive of new artists is really awesome. Yeah. Uh, And then in relation to that house they lived in. uh, So Olivia lived in this house with Ruby and she said of this, it happened more than on more than one occasion, especially during rehearsals. When me and Ruby lived in a house together, we were rooming together. One time we were discussing the band and then all of a sudden this face pops up in the window above the door and Ruby and I screamed at the top of our lungs. It was, <laughs> it was Jack. He's really supportive. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just want you guys to know I'm supporting you. Hey, hey, I support you. I support you. Paul's neighbors are now like, they're feeling really good about themselves. <laughs> they're just like, wow, our neighbor is really generous. Yeah. So uh, well, People downtown sure are friendly. <laughs> So while uh, the Black Bells, uh, we just talked about, they had they had done some touring in 2012. Well, another thing happened in 2012, which was Jack's debut solo album, the Blunderbuss album. And oh, yeah. Olivia plays on, do you have any, James, would you like to hazard a guess onto how many songs from that album Olivia plays on? Well, I know that she was touring with him a little bit, so I'm going to guess at least one. <laughs> that was a really... I'm going to go with uh, seven. Seven songs. Wow. Really close. Really close. Ah. Out, out of the 13 tracks that exist on Blunderbuss, she played on eight of them. Oh, wow. You were off by That's one. Not too shabby. Yeah. So on Missing Pieces, she plays acoustic guitar. On Freedom at 21, she plays electric guitar. Hmm. On Blunderbuss, she plays the drums. I had no idea. She was a drummer. <laughs> I, yes. Yeah. yeah. On Hypocritical Keos, she plays a, acoustic guitar. On uh, Weep Themselves to Sleep, acoustic guitar. I'm Shaken, she plays acoustic guitar and hand claps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She plays the golden eye slappers. <laughs> and on On and On and On, she plays acoustic guitar. And on Take Me With You When You Go, she plays electric guitar. Nice. Which is really cool. That's a nice uh, round list of instruments she's playing on that album. Yeah, and there's an interview with Dominic Davis talking about her and her capabilities and stuff. And he was just really complimentary of her ability to sort of change between instruments in that way. And you could really see it in the amount of different stuff she plays on these records. Let's hear a little bit of Blunderbuss with some of that in drums. So it's not just limited to the album. Blunderbuss single, the Love Interruption B-side, Machine Gun Silhouette, which we talked about on the... Uh, several other podcasts, yeah. Yeah, which we talked about on several other podcasts. She plays drums on that as well, huh. which is really cool. I love Machine Gun dog. Yeah, I love Machine Gun Silhouette. It's a great song. So then it's kind of funny because after that, you see a sharp decline in her involvement on Jack's songs in particular. Mm. We move on to Lazaretto. Out of the 11 songs, do you want to hazard a guess how many she plays on? Well, if you say it's a sharp decline, I'm going to say at least one. <laughs> I'm going to go with two. Two songs. James, you are absolutely right. She only plays Woo-hoo! on two songs out of the 11 Lazaretto songs. Hot dog. I'm winner. You did it. Can you <laughs> guess which ones? Uh, that Black Bat Licorice? Yes, you're right. Woo-hoo! She does back. She sings background vocals on that Black Bat Licorice. Two for two. Yeah. All right, I have one more. I'm going to go with Lazaretto. Title track. No. She plays on she plays African drum on Would You Fight for My Love. Oh. So she plays my really what's my favorite part of that song, which is the boom bam boom bam. Let's hear some of that. I 
I love that part of that song. It's so that song, you know, I'm hit or miss on it, but I do love that break. And then you hear that kind of funky sort of yeah, it's hand, soft. Yeah, that sort of soft drum. That's that's Olivia. It's a nice break from the harsh sound that the rest of Lazaretto can bring. Right. Now, she did play on two Lazaretto singles, the B-sides. She played on that Blackback Licorice's B-side, which is Blue Light, Red Light, Someone's There. She plays electric mm-hmm. guitar on that one. And it's Charlene. She's right behind you. <laughs> and then the Lazaretto B-side, Power of My Love, she plays something called Tic Tac Bass. And that's something I learned about from Dominic Davis. On an interview with Dominic talking about Olivia, he describes what Tic Tac Bass is, and basically that's just tuning a guitar down to where a bass would be. And so you're playing your guitar like a bass guitar. Huh. Which is So you have six strings instead of four as a bass? Uh, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of Tic Tac Bass, but that is what it was described as. Hmm. So that's I'll be darned. Yeah, and and that kind of feeds into, you know, like when she was doing her own stuff, I'm sure she was, you know, doing those demos. I'm sure she didn't have maybe necessarily access to all of these instruments, but she was probably tuning down her guitar to do that kind of thing with the bass. Mm-hmm. So that's Tic Tac Bass, and now I know what Tic Tac Bass is, and I can't stop saying Tic Tac Bass, Tic Tac Bass, Tic Tac Bass. It's all about that Tic Tac Bass. <laughs> no. Licorice. R- licorice. <laughs> you know what? Let's hear what that Tic Tac Bass sounds like on Power My Love. Elvis cover. I love that song. Is that what that is? So that's Olivia doing that? Yeah. It's awesome. I'll, yeah, I like that song. I played that at my wedding. You played Power of My Love at your wedding? It was during that really gross tradition where you take off a garter. Uh, who took off your I garter? <laughs> Zing. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs> Good man. So that's what she played on Jack's songs. Let's go. Uh, let's talk about what she played on the other third man recording artists. By the way, a huge shout out to the website Discogs for this stuff. I, I found a lot of this material there. They are a great, great, great resource. Thank you so much to whoever's operating Discogs. It's an awesome website. Thanks, Discogs. She played on a lot of Third Man Recording Artists songs. Olivia's been on so many of the Third Man records. She's been so prominent. You know, she was in Wanda Jackson's band, Karen Elson's band. She was in my band. She played on so many of the Blue Series. We'll just sort of go down the list here. In 2010, she played on Karen Elson's album, The Ghost Who Walks. She played on these songs, Stolen Roses and The Birds They Circle. Bass. She plays bass on those and on the live record. She also plays on the Karen Nelson single, Vicious, in 2011. That also features backing vocals from Jack. From there, also in 2010, she played on Wanda Jackson's album. She was a big part of that band. She played on the songs Dust on the Bible, You Know I'm No Good, and Shaken All Over. For those, she played guitar, percussion, and bass, respectively. Nice. Also on Wanda Jackson's live record, live at Third Man Records, which is really cool. We'll go through a couple of others here. She played bass on... The Secret Sisters single called Waybosh Cannonball. She played bass in 2011 on the Becky and John single, I'll Be There If You Ever Want. She played acoustic guitar and produced the Hawaiian Heat single Pink Orange from 2015. Yeah, 
that was a third man one, right? There was a flexi disc that came out with the third man t-shirt with the sewn on pocket, something like that. You got a Hawaiian heat flexi disc with that. And then lastly, she plays guitar and African drum, again, African drum, on Kate Pearson's Venus and Radio in Bed. Kate Pearson, of course, of the B-52s. I love this song. Let's play some of that. great was that come on k pearson it was good james you saw the b-52s come on <laughs> i did i did i did i i was all up in that love shack rocking my lobster <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah as you can see she played on a lot of this stuff and fun fact and we'll, we'll talk about this in a second in in a little further detail but obviously these are a lot of singles and things she worked on jack did a plum series in honor of the release of bathtub love killings where he re-released all the stuff she worked on, but retinted the artwork to be the color of plum instead of blue. Yeah, I never knew that's why he did it. I've seen those around, and I I've considered buying them. I knew it was a series, but they were always just you know a little more expensive than I'd want to pay. They're just the same album artwork with purple instead of you know black or anything. Right. Uh, evidently, that was in honor of. Her solo debut, Bathtub Love Killings. Nice. I love this album. I love it, I love it, I love it. It was the first record I played on my new turntable in the bedroom, which I got the other day. When I got this, it just sounded like... It came out so shortly after Lazaretto, it just felt like a consistent sort of extension of what Jack was trying to do. And I really... I think her songwriting is great. I think... The production on it is pretty tight, and I'm just in love with this record. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. It's I don't like it just as much as you do, but it's a go-to album for me on my turntable as well. And also, if I have guests over, it's usually an album I put on in the living room just to have low music is some Olivia Jean. Uh, yeah, we first became aware of Olivia during a show we went to in September of 2014 during Jack's Lazaretto tour at the Meriwether Post Pavilion. We saw her open for Jack there and it was a fabulous show in fact we saw her backstage even we were able to spot her her and ikea owens both actually yeah we were sitting all the way to the right it's kind of an open air theater in maryland and sort of a summer night you could it was pretty clear and we were sort of sitting right where we could see straight backstage and she was just hanging out back there she was unpacking her stuff yeah just sort of hanging out and uh yeah so that was really great it left an impression and then when i heard the album not long after that i was really really impressed she plays a lot of the instruments on this thing herself and by a lot i mean almost all but you know like we talked about earlier you know when she was younger she was demoing alone so she kind of she said she prefers to play alone in that way and just sort of multi-track and layer herself on top of herself she likes to sit in a little room yeah (laughs) working on something good yeah 
so these are songs she had for about two years, some from the Black Bells, some that she had just recorded with Dominic Davis. Apparently those two collaborated and did just you know some stuff together and trying to compile material. Yeah, it's a little more mature than the Black Bell stuff. It's definitely not as repetitive. It's a little more just refined. Yeah, the the surf thing is still there. That surf rock thing is still kind of there. It's a little more prevalent in the Black Bells. I feel like on Olivia's record, there's much more Jack on it. It's much more, very much a blues bluesy kind of extension. A little more rockabilly. Yeah, a little more rockabilly. You can definitely hear the influence in there, but I, I'm fine with the influence because I like where it came from. So she said of this record, it's just basically me, Jack, and Dominic. So apparently Dominic Davis took a big role in this as he had uh, prior leading up to it. Dominic Davis being the bassist in the Lazaretto era house band that Jack has. Yeah, and Jack knew Dominic for a long, long time. I think Jack, Dominic is also from Detroit, and they had known each other in Jack's formative years, you know, sort of that kind of era. And Dominic also played in the touring band for Blunderbuss, the all-dude hmm. band. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is probably where you but, met Olivia, because Olivia played in the girl group iteration of that. Right. Yeah. But he's his own show, so we'll get yeah, into it. We'll get to Dominic. Yeah, wait your wait your turn, Dominic, all right? Easy, Dominic. Easy. All right. Easy. Come on, back off. Easy, Eddie. My favorite song from this album, there's a lot of great songs on this album. My favorite song is Haunt Me. It's about being haunted by negative memories. And you know what I want to do is just play a little uh, Olivia live in the blue room doing this song because it's that acoustic solo version of it is just fantastic let's play a little of that yeah i've heard this it's really good rotation for me i love that version here it just by contrast here's a little bit of the album version this songwriting is really tight and uh, there's a lot of relationship stuff being drawn on from here it seems to be a central sort of theme in how she writes her songs it's usually about a relationship but you can kind of say the same thing about jack anyway Mm -hmm. on this album we talked about her playing a variety of instruments she is the lead vocalist she plays acoustic guitar electric guitar wurlitzer piano woodblock bass tic-tac bass drums moog synth carillon bells something called bass six the one after five <laughs> clave that thing again and organ and then the only other stuff that other people play on here dominic davis plays some bass whip triplet plays some drums whip triplet Whoa, i think that's was a name. yeah i think whip was sort of around i think he he sort of popped up in as a jackalite in that kind of area of time 
but I think he was sort of phased out in favor of uh, Daru. Or maybe not phased out so much as like Daru kind of took his place because you, you sort of see Daru's name pop up more on drums. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they kind of whipped whip. A uh, clav, by the way, looks like a piano with another piano on top. Double decker piano. Looks like it. There's also somebody named Rochelle Garniez who sings. Rochelle Rochelle. <laughs> who uh, is a vocalist also on Deadly Hex. And then uh, Fats Kaplan plays fiddle. Uh, I love Fats Kaplan. Patrick Keeler plays. Hey, of, our good buddy. Of the Rack on Tours plays drums on Deadly Hex. And then uh, Jack White himself plays electric guitar, right channel, theremin, and percussion on the song Catfight, which closes the record. Hmm. So let's play a little bit of Catfight. So the name of this album, Bathtub Love Killings, is kind of weird. It is uh, evidently based on a serial killer from the 1800s that killed three girls in a bathtub. The name of my album is called Bathtub Love Killings. It's based on a serial killer from the 1800s that killed three girls in the bathtub. And somehow I came up with Bathtub Love Killings. Wow. Are we sure it wasn't rats? She also said it's basically a metaphor for the emotions behind each song. Oh, delightful. Yeah. Murder. <laughs> the release party for this album was held on Devil's Night in hey. on October 30th with a concert. Fans could obtain tickets actually at Devil's Night by donating a pint of blood at the label's headquarters in Nashville on October 13th. This is the same Devil's Night we talked about in the Halloween episode. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't know that was in conjunction with the blood drive that they do. Yeah, yeah, that was the 2014 Devil's Night. Uh, Third Man Records, for those of you who don't know, do a blood drive usually every year, so around October time, go donate some blood. Yeah, do it. Do it. So this album was released in 2014 and had two singles, Reminiscence, which was released in 2014, and Merry Widow, which was released in 2015. As opposed to a Merry Window, which is what Jack was doing every time he tapped on her window (laughs) to support her. (laughs) Now, side two of Merry Widow has uh, a cover of You Really Got Me from the Kinks. It's, It's amazing. Let's hear some of that. some of that surf rock vibe i love it so much it's so good it's a good song good cover yes and daru plays drums on that one and tambourine ike owens on moog and uh dominic davis on bass love those guys so joshua smith who also records and does a lot of assists and technical stuff on jack's records also contributed to olivia's record along with vance powell who does a lot of mixing and technical stuff for jack vance mixed mary widow and a few others nice 
this is the cast of characters, you know, that Nashville, the Jackalites. That's what we mean when we say Jackalites. It's just those people. <laughs> those people. It's a lot of session musicians that are just kind of mixing around, mingling in the third man records communities. Yeah, which is actually a great mix. It's a it's a hell of a cocktail because they come up with a good sound. Yeah, definitely. So that wraps up Bathtub Love Killings. So Jack White actually produced both Bathtub Love Killings and the Black Bells album. And I think Jack took special care in the production of both of these, particularly because they were projects so near and dear to his heart and uh, and the Third Man Records community. I think he saw these projects as sort of like the embodiment of what he was trying to do with the label. So I think Jack's on his production game here. Yeah, I actually like the Black Bells production a lot more than I like Bats Out Love Killings, specifically because I think he mixed it a little low in Olivia's solo project. Every time I put it on, say, in my car, the levels are, are – they drop way down. I have to crank it up. Either that or everything else he mixes is way too high, so I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> well, Jack definitely has a style, and so don't take our word for it. <laughs> that brings us to an expert and our third man for this week. Welcome to our third man for this week, Sam Kubert. Welcome, Sam. How you doing? Hey, how's it going, you guys? It's going well. Yeah, going How are well. you? Good. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know? Sam did all the recording and production on the third man theme song. Thank you again, Sam. And provided vocals and percussion. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, man. Our topic for this week is Olivia Jean. And today we're going to talk a little bit about production on Olivia's records because, as we all know, Jack White produced both the Black Bells album and Olivia Jean's solo album. So uh, Sam took a listen to a track from each album, and he's going to share some thoughts as a man who knows production, what he thinks about uh, Jack's approach to Olivia's music. Yeah. So we'll start with the Black Bells song, In a Cage. This one's actually really interesting because, I mean, all over anything to do with the Black Bells or, and I guess the main member, is that you can really smell Jack White on it. (laughs) (laughs) I think he smells like a rat. Um, And this one definitely had a a part that seemed straight out of Icky Thump where he used what seems like a Moog synthesizer. Now, you can do that same sort of effect with guitar pedals but most people just use the the synth that is so spot on and i never noticed it but at, you are <laughs> 1000 percent dead on like that opening of that song is basically the same effect on icky thump that's really cool yeah it's it's definitely right there it's that really what's called a hard sawtooth wave Ooh. where when you get like a really clean wave or like a really clean sound like a That'll come on as just a regular sine wave, and that looks really smooth and wavy. A sawtooth sort of comes up straight and then goes down like a slope and then straight up again and then slope down. I'm sorry, when you're talking about these waves, is that how they're showing up on the... We're, it's... we're picturing like the most violent act <laughs> to a sound wave possible, which is a sawtooth blade, I guess? That's exactly why it's called a sawtooth wave, because it looks oh, like okay. a sawtooth blade, actually. Oh, that's cool. There's square waves and sine waves. Square waves, I mean, as you can probably guess, look like little squares. 
And then it's all based on how the waveform coming out from the source would look visually represented. Huh. Here in this show, we would call those little boxes or little squares, uh, little rooms. Mm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is bad. It's a bad joke. Yeah. Sam, continue with actually talking. <laughs> yeah, about stuff. <laughs> okay. It's that same sort of affected sawtooth that uh, so, you can get on a normal Moog synthesizer. I think he uses mostly updated or, uh, like, replica Moogs, but I wouldn't put it past Jack to put it to use one of the originals. He would grab something from, like, 1947. Yeah, <laughs> like, pretty <laughs> much, like... Used in a bunker in World War II and figure out some <laughs> man. I don't think that dude has a guitar that's been, like, made past eight, the 80s. He, in fact, he's playing a guitar right now on the current acoustic recordings press tour that was constructed for the First World War. So he's uh, yeah. he goes back a little ways. Yeah, I read up on that guitar. That's a cool. That's a cool one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so the sound on the Black Bells in general on that whole record, but uh, which I thought was kind of summed up kind of nicely on this track. Is it sounds dirty? If that makes any sense, it's just there's a lot of fuzz on it, and I'm not sure what kind of approach. I mean, their vocals themselves don't really seem to have a lot of reverb. So there's like, it's got this dryness to it, but also kind of fuzzy. Yeah. Sam, is there like a word for like, am I, does that make any sense? Well, actually, it's funny because like, you know, you're a guitar player. You like your fuzz pedals, add a little bit of fuzz to it. So what they do for her vocals, it sounds like you're right. It is very dry, but they seem to send it through a few classic tube compressors and it, it really warms up the sound and and then they use a tape delay on it, especially for the choruses. They, they huh. take that on and off, and that's a really classic, like, old-school recording technique is to put a, a nice little tape delay of about, I don't know, 25 milliseconds on her voice to make it sound like there's multiples. Wow. Um, a tape delay is just you set up a tape machine, just like a two-track recorder tape machine, send her vocals to it, it records it, but then it plays it back at a time that you can set. So you can play it back at, like, you know, 20 milliseconds, like I said before, 25 milliseconds or whatever, and it'll push both of those voices back into the channel. So, so you get that... Uh, is that something doubling. she would hear through her headphones, or...? That, that depends if you sent the affected sound back to her headphones or, or her source. You can actually tap it from Because I can either. imagine that would be pretty confusing to, like, sing through. It depends. Uh, some people like to sing with reverb. Some people like to sing with delay. Um, because, you, I mean, you can still hear your original. It doesn't just... You don't hear anything coming back and then hear yourself 20 milliseconds later. You can still hear your original, but you also hear the effects afterwards. Huh. Interesting. I can kind of hear the sound you're talking about in the, particularly in the chorus section. Let, let's play a little bit of that area of the song and highlight what Sam's talking about here. Yeah, I can definitely hear that. Right on. Paul <laughs> <laughs> definitely heard that. Uh-huh. But you can um, also tell that like little small little artifacts in her voice and even in all of the affected voices. So to get that, I mean, it's the same tape delay. It's just 
since the tape is like a physical medium, it's going to have all these little tiny imperfections physically on the tape. And as the tape head reads that, it reads those little imperfections right along with the delayed voice. So it'll play those back right along with it. And that sound is, I mean, Jack's keeping it alive. I I don't really know how else to put that, because with all the digital equipment coming out, you have to get that manually. All the old analog stuff, that was just the topping that came right with it. So that's probably part of the reason why he collects all old analog gear, is to keep that same raw sound. That sounds sounds right up... Right up his alley. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, let's move on then to the song from Olivia's solo album, Haunt Me, which I thought was a nice contrast because it, it, I feel like it's a little bit more on the polished side. Her solo material differs from the Black Bells in terms of, you know, we talked about that grungy sort of fuzziness earlier, and I, I felt like Olivia's stuff in general is a little cleaner. But this also starts with a, it sounds like it's coming off an old tape recorder or something. Sam, do you know what that is? Yeah, that's a plug-in. The cheap way to do it is just like your normal Waves Pro Tools like effects plug-in where you just, or it, like after you throw it through a uh, an equalizer and just mess with it until you get that sound. There's a good chance that he just sent it straight through an old-timey radio. Hmm. Uh, yeah, or that. like an old yeah. amp or something. Yeah, that's that's possible, but chances are he, he used the plug-in. That sort of specific effect is normally looked after for for the effect that it gives, is that it's on like an old-timey radio. Right. And you can definitely see where her interests align with Jack's there. Yeah, definitely. We were talking about on the first episode that a lot of Jack's vocals were recorded on the on the Davey White Stripes album through a guitar amp. So it's funny you say that because I, I feel like this is a trick he's used for himself before in some ways and is imparting them upon Miss Olivia Jean. Yeah, I mean, after listening to Jack for a while, I've even used that on some of my own EPs for certain parts. You can, sometimes I even use it something to that style on just like a background guitar part or like just something to give it, you know, a little bit extra throughout the whole thing. To have it in the beginning like as an effect like that, I thought it was really nice that the transition from that old-timey radio effect to... She doesn't exactly come in all at once, actually. She still has that old-timey radio effect when she's updating her sound throughout the song. It actually gradually morphs into like a, a newer sound, what you would hear today, a higher quality. I'm curious, this is a question I had about the album in general, and maybe you might be able to answer this, but on the solo album specifically, it seems to me, compared to pretty much every other song that I have available digitally or otherwise, the levels are really low, the audio output levels, that is. Is that something you've noticed or have an explanation for, perhaps? Because <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only one. Am I crazy in thinking that? Like, Because if I put on that a song from that album and then directly after it, another song will come on, I have to turn down the stereo because I had the uh, stereo turned up so high to actually listen to her song. So You're saying I you have like to turn up the stereo to listen to her album? Yeah, okay. pretty much, because the levels seem very low compared to, to everything else. Is there an advantage or a disadvantage to having the levels be lower? 
That's actually that's an interesting question because it, it opens up a whole new world called the uh, the loudness wars that happened about ten years ago. Who won? Uh, we the we did. I think. The <laughs> was it was it Kirk Hammett? I feel like Kirk Hammett won. Well, somebody won. Somebody's getting paid. <laughs> a while back, recording and music distribution companies found that the louder a song is, like right off the digital track more likely someone is going to like it, actually, and someone is going to listen to it. It's just like, it's an old audio trick where the louder you hear something, the better it sounds, which obviously isn't necessarily true, but you can definitely trick a bunch of people into thinking that. Right, there was the plague of the 1960s where people were just screaming at the front of a song (laughs) just to get your attention. Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Disclaimer, that never really happened. Yeah, no, no. Um, so here, what they started doing was taking all of the dynamics, like throughout songs before this, or especially, you can definitely hear it in classical music a lot, where there's loud parts and there are soft parts. What they started doing was taking all of those soft parts, pumping them up, making them loud, and actually making those soft parts around the same level as the loud parts. So the entire song sounds loud and if you actually looked at the waveform it just looks like one giant block so that the entire song sounds loud and so they could sell more sell more of this and as digital recording devices got better and better that bit depth the ability to to record louder and louder onto a digital disc just got higher and higher and higher so it was an arms race between all the different recording studios to try to put out the loudest track they possibly could jack hates that kind of stuff so he, he tends to like, you know, actual dynamics in his songs. Same with most classical recordings or film recording where dynamics is actually a huge part of the production. So there's been a huge rollback on compressing everything and making everything sound super loud all the time so that you can actually get all those intricacies of this part's supposed to be soft and this part's supposed to be louder. And if that was done on purpose for that album then that's probably why, is to maintain the dynamic range of the music itself and to essentially save the song. That is really interesting. And, it, and also a side effect is the what we call the MySpace effect, which is any album you put on after it is going to be supremely annoyingly loud, and so the one before it with the lower levels will f- sound great by comparison, much like going onto somebody's MySpace page 15 years ago and hearing some loud, annoying song. Exactly. That's right. Right. Exactly. Paul, rest assured, wow. you'll always be on my top eight. <laughs> well, this has been very interesting. Thank you so much to our third man this week, Sam Kubert. Sam, is there anything you want to plug? Well, they can go to my website, actually, samkubert.com. There you go. That's something. S-A-M-K-U-B-E-R-T.com. I have a few samples on there. You can get in touch if you want to do some recording with me. Fantastic. Nice. All right. Thank you, Sam. And now back to the show. That pretty much brings our segment on Olivia Jean to a close. Her music speaks for itself. She is, as we talked about on this episode, a huge contributor to the Third Man Records sound right now. She really was one of the pioneers of the record company as being a separate entity to just Jack doing his own projects. Right. So if you're listening, Olivia, we love you. Stick around. I want another record because it's been too long. So get on that, please. Well, if you look at her Instagram... She has said before that she is working on a entirely new surf rock album of hmm. surf rock exclusive stuff. Oh, really? Um, so it's coming down the pipe. 
pun totally intended. <laughs> and that wraps up our Olivia Jean segment. We love you, Olivia. Make us another record. <laughs> Please. <laughs> that sounded very demanding. I didn't mean it like that. Give us more. We want more. All right, so James, you know what that means. Yeah. Oh, is it time? I think it might be time. I saw some stuff in your yard. Are you going to give it to us? Oh, Meg, don't be rude. Or not. They might need it. Rag and bone. Rag and bone. Rag and bone. Rag and bone. bone. So Rag and Bone is the segment wherein we talk about the very weird stuff we found whilst researching Jack White for this podcast. Yeah. All the little quirky, bizarre little moments that don't seem to fall in line with history or fun it's just kind of weird yeah it's just kind of weird a ragged bone for this week is courtesy of an interview by triple j during the blunderbuss era and j jonah jameson (laughs) (laughs) and james i know what jack white's favorite animal is would you like to hazard a guess as to what jack white's favorite animal is now think hard god yes i want to answer this question (laughs) i've lived to answer this question jack white's Favorite animal, favorite animal, favorite animal. It's got to be an animal with at least three appendages. Whoa. Or not. I, okay. I can't confirm okay. or deny. Okay. It's it's possibly <laughs> the three-toed sloth, but the three-toed sloth just, it's too dumb. It's too slow. Too slow for Jack. He's a fast-moving kind of guy. He's quick. He's got the quickness. Uh-huh. So I'm going to go with your... Uh, kid no no. Ah, it's dolphin it's the dolphin isn't it he loves the dolphin it's the famous three dolphin (laughs) the dolphin with three heads it's a hydra are you ready for the the answer yes it is the three toed sloth oh no but it's too slow (laughs) you were right it's too slow you were right. Jack's got the quickness. He's got he the quickness. He's too speedy. Uh, he hasn't seen the sun in a week. His skin is getting pale. I don't know. It kind of makes sense. It's kind of a weird looking animal. I want to meet whatever taxidermy three-toed sloth this man owns because I know he owns one. And I want his, I want to know his name. Yes. You and me both. So that's our rag and bone for this week. So uh, that brings us to our Stop Breaking Down segment. Stop Breaking Down. Stop Breaking Down. Stop Breaking Down. Please stop breaking down. Stop Breaking Down. Okay, so I have a lot to apologize for this week, you guys. Lay it on us, Paul. Uh, Okay. The first thing I'd like to apologize for, and I got wrong, in episode two, I incorrectly used the word conquistador when describing Jack White's outfit in the Jack White, what are you wearing segment. What I meant to say was matador. Our hit fashion podcast segment, Jack White, what are you wearing? (laughs) Yes. Jack White looked like a matador during the conquest video. To be fair... Uh, he he was singing on a song called Conquista. <laughs> yes, this is true. My next apology is for saying that Brendan Benson helped record the music video for Hotel Yorba. He actually did not. He accompanied Jack to record the Hotel Yorba Live at the Hotel Yorba song. 
he did not have any involvement in the music video. So, yeah, it was just the music, not the actual video. Okay. I'm sorry. Everyone. You should be. You can, you can stop already. Look. I'm sorry. It's mostly me. I keep sending Paul emails every day <laughs> telling him, you must apologize. <laughs> Granted, I could Thank have stopped you. him at the time, but look, that's, that's not my responsibility. Well... That's arguable, but yes. So sorry about that, folks. We'll do better. This is We only point these things out to show you that we're trying, okay? We're trying to get this stuff right. <laughs> well, we're doing our best, and our best is not good enough. So, <laughs> so like Winston from Ghostbusters, sorry we missed it. All right. Well, I think that's about going to do it for us here on the Third Man Podcast. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for Game joining sound us. Effect. <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. It's been a really fun time doing this show, and we hope you've been enjoying them out there. We are recording this episode the night the first episode went live. That's right. So, and the fanfare is extraordinary. <laughs> we the phone has just been ringing. <laughs> off the hook everybody wants a piece of us mainly to tell us to stop they're telling us to stop so it's up to you guys to go onto itunes rate and review us and prove those people wrong yes please go on itunes subscribe rate review tell a friend obviously we do not make any money off of this show in any way do you hear us so we don't really advertise the only way we can get the word out is by you guys going out there and telling other jack white fans Obviously, this is going for a niche crowd, so... We'll be happy if you get one. (laughs) But thank you again. If you'd like to read show notes and see other various things from the shows, you can go to thethirdman.wordpress.com. That's where our our feed's at, and you can read all the show notes on there. Yeah, if you want to find us or chat us up on Twitter, we're at thirdmencast. If you'd like to drop us an email and tell us what we got wrong, by all means, please do. That email is thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdmen. We'd like to thank Sam Kuber and Tom Valenti of our Third Man House Band. Thank you, guys. We would also like to thank you, guys. It's great. (laughs) They did our theme song, We're the Third Men. We'd like to thank our third man of the week, Sam Kubert. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. You were great. You're a, hell, I'm sure. you're a hell of a guy. <laughs> hell of a model, <laughs> So we also have a Tumblr, Third Men Podcast on Tumblr. Yeah, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to thank Tumblr for all the bad things you do. <laughs> and also, we're available on iTunes, that kind of stuff. But if you want to reach us, we're also on Podomatic. So you can just search Third Men Podcast and we're up on there. We're all up in that internet. <laughs> we're all up in the internet. You- Taking the tubes by storm. <laughs> So thank you, everybody, and uh, until next time, James, uh, I'll be looking for a home. I'll be looking for a home. All right, see ya. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Stop it's some solid pod. You're gonna stop it? I see you're not paying attention to me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, we are not including that <laughs> at all.
What is that noise? Oh, that's the teenagers in that. Honey, I'm your green honey creeper.